We say good morning. Good morning. And um, why don't we uh, turn our Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter one? And let's read together. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God. Starting at verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And as we go through this passage, we just pray for the leading of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, wondered as I was uh, studying... uh, this section this week, and actually the book of First Corinthians, if the unconverted people, uh, the great number of unchurched people around us, if they were all to get saved, or many of them were to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here in this area, could we really handle it? And what I mean by that, could we handle all the dilemmas and all the knots that come with the style of life that we know of today, or any sinful day for that matter. But you can think of all the ties with immorality and personal problems that people have. I think we'd be faced with just surmounting real dilemmas. I think we'd have real headaches if most of the people around us were to become Christians. There are problems that come from the type of background that we look at here in Corinth and the time that we live in today. And so they carry a lot of baggage in. So there's no doubt about that. What would happen, though, if just hundreds of people came in? Could we, could we handle that? These Corinthians came to Christ. They were converted. They brought their problems in. And that's how the church was. They were immoral. They were fornicators. They were effeminate. Paul said, such were some of you. That's the kind of lifestyle they came from. Uh, It was so difficult for them to get rid of certain baggage. And we know as Christians, we still have baggage that we carry. I mean, it is true that we're converted. Our life changes. But there's so many other things in our lives that's going to continue to have to be changed, isn't it? And so if people came in with the lifestyle they have been in, could we be able to handle it? Well, Paul had to deal with this because the lifestyles that they had uh, come from before, they're still dealing with when he writes this letter. They had been regenerated by the Spirit of God. These were Christians. They had been changed. Now, last week we, uh, we had an introduction And we saw that Paul gave a greeting to the Corinthians. And that's what we looked at last week. And this week, he continues with a prayer after the the greetings that he has here. 
He just doesn't go in there pounding on him, knowing what he knows. But he comes in and now says a very gracious prayer. He intercedes here for these, these saints, especially that they would know the hope of their calling. You know, like in Ephesians, Paul prays so often and, and so often throughout the epistles that he prays that people would know their calling and the knowledge that God has given them. So as in the greeting where he's already mentioned grace and peace, now he's going to bring grace again. And he's going to thank God for the grace that he gave to these people. It's grace and grace alone, isn't it? It's Christ and Christ alone. Or Scripture alone, faith alone, glory to God alone. Uh, those are the five cries of the Reformation. But we say Christ alone and grace alone today because... That's what you see in this text. How many times do you see Jesus, Jesus Christ, Lord, in the first nine verses? And for that matter, just continue on through. But you see it constantly. You see more of the name of Christ there than you see of the amount of verses in, uh, in this section here today. I think it's incredible. That means we're on a Christ-centered message here today. Shouldn't we be always? Sounds like a big city, doesn't it? <laughs> but what, what uh, Paul is emphasizing is not only the grace of God, but that God will be given the glory because of that. And people actually are commended here. These are people that you would think that Paul would be all over with his rebuking and exhortation, which he's going to do throughout the book of Corinthians. But the first thing he does, he comes in very compassionate, very generous in starting this out. He knew the worst about these people. Oh, did he know what was going on. It wasn't that he wasn't in touch. But he writes the best about them as he starts this. The best about them is that they have been graced by God. And then we see also that uh, they, had, uh, they had gifts there. and So he's being honest and uh, he's not giving flattery out here, he truly means this because this is what God had done to them. They had many sins and uh, they deserved to be judged, but they had also done many things in the work of the Lord. True believers, no matter what the shortcomings are, we have them. At the same time, God is working in true believers. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, He's working in us. You can take that to the bank because it's in the book. It's in here. He's doing it. Now, they have been referred to as saints already. You remember last week we talked about that? That uh, they were saints. That's who He's writing to. He's an apostle and He says, "...to the church of God which has occurred to those who are sanctified..." And that's saints, holy. "...in Christ Jesus called to be saints." That's a, one of the best titles for us. We are saints. It means we have been made holy. And Paul knows that. And so, even uh, despite their background, and despite some of the sins that are popping up now, all over the place, in the church, he, at the same time, is saying, you're saints. You are holy. Of course, if they are holy, then they are to be holy in their lives that they live out. Because the work of God is there. Uh, they're to live their lives as, as holy. 
You know, the Corinthians needed to know who they were. Saints. The church at Corinth. Graced by God. Enriched in everything. Gifted. Wow. Confirmed to the end. They need to know that. They need to be reminded. But that's just not the church at Corinth. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded every day. Matter of fact, I, I heard a, I read a quote this, this week. You know, on Facebook, you can, you can see about a thousand different quotes every day. And the, the friends that you guys have or are familiar with or some of you that are on there, most of them are really, really good. And they draw from Spurgeon and Calvin and Piper and Sproul and uh, many of the Puritans. The more friends that you pick up, you find out this is a body of Christ throughout uh, this country. This is incredible. And you see scripture quotes. You see quotes from different people. And one of them was the fact that... Um, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves at least every five minutes. <laughs> Did anybody come across that one? I thought that was really good. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every five minutes. What's the gospel? That we're saved by grace and we live by grace and we're not judged on performance. We're justified by faith. It's all what God has done. Do you guys like that? Preach that to yourselves constantly. I don't know about every five minutes if you can... Uh, do that. There's plenty of things to do. But uh, if you've got a moment, think think the gospel. It'll take about two or three seconds. Just think that. Well, that can really help you get through because you realize it's the performance of Jesus Christ on the cross, isn't it? Does that really relieve you? That's what He's looking at. And at the same time, He's conforming us. But they're, they're saints. They're sanctified ones. And the first nine verses are dedicated to bringing that truth to them. As he says, hey, this is the will of God that I'm, uh, I'm an apostle here. I'm writing to you. You guys are sanctified. You are saints. Um, and uh, you have grace. And you have peace. And then the section that we look at here today. What a great reminder of the gospel. And that's what uh, Paul does. Uh, this is Christ-centered. Christ is at the heart of the gospel. Christ is at the heart of the book of Corinthians. Christ is at the heart of the whole Scripture. It's always Christ. Christ. And preach that to yourself. Preach it all day long. Christ-centered. He emphasizes the supremacy of Christ here because His name is here. And we sang that song, Your Name. And that is embodies everything about who God is and who Christ is. He is supreme. He's a supreme one. And what He does here is He's going to define the benefits of believers in Jesus Christ. He defines the benefits to the Corinthians here. So he doesn't come out on some bashing that uh, he could right off the bat because he's very angry. And in Galatians, he kind of did that. It was because of legalism, though. And that's where Christ got the most angry. That's where Paul gets the most angry, when there's legalism. The other side of that is antinomianism, and it was kind of running uh, a little loose there in the Corinthian church, so he will uh, address those issues. But it starts off with this grace and uh, Christ. And we're going to see the sufficiency of Christ here in verse 4 and 5 and even verse, well, all the way through. But Christ is sufficient for everything, isn't He? He's the one to draw from. You have a need? Go right to Him. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, 
that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge. Sufficiency of Christ, huh? We're talking everything. Enriched in everything. Now, that's a past benefit. He gives thanks. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. And that starts with salvation, doesn't it? Not only is there continuing grace there, but I think he's mentioning here that he's thanking God because he saved them. And they are his people. Paul remembered how God's grace had transformed him, but he also remembered how God's grace had transformed them. And you remember whenever he came into Corinth preaching that gospel, that many people came to Christ in that year and a half that he was there teaching and preaching. What a joyous time that was for him. There was a lot of persecution that he was uh, having to pay for, but at the same time, people were coming to Christ. This is about salvation. This is about them entering the kingdom of God. And what does Paul say? I thank God for the grace that was given to you so that you could be saved. Couldn't help but think about God's grace, could he? Have you noticed Paul gets really stuck on grace? Grace-centered, God-Christ-centered, right? That's what we want to be. Um, he sees the people in Christ. That's, that's who he sees first before he uh, writes the rest of the letter. Paul could have started by criticizing, but instead he, th- he gives thanks to God because they are God's people. God chose them. He gave thanksgiving and praise. If they've been chosen by God, it's not an accident here, and God is working through um, those people, right? He sheds His favor upon them. We need to think of that the next time we get a little impatient with um, brothers and sisters in Christ. Get impatient with anybody. But we really need to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether it be in our local church or all throughout the body of Christ. uh, Other denominations. Be patient at the same time. We want to be truthful, but at the same time we've got to realize that if they are gods, they were chosen by God, then they're part of His family. And it's not uh, that they are to be looked down upon or be a less than in our thinking. So that would be a practical lesson for us. That's where Paul starts. He starts with the fact that he's thanking God for them. Paul's spirit that he has in him, not only the Holy Spirit, but just the way that he's responding here, um, was really kind and really uh, gracious so that they would accept the rest of the letter too. It's a good way to start in the sense of Hey, I, I really thank the Lord for you. Here's what God has done. But there's something to address and then, then bring it forth. But to realize, here's, here's what uh, Paul starts with. Uh, anyway, they had a past. Great sin. You ever heard of uh, that song called Grace Greater Than All Our Sin? God's grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. I believe a greater capacity is given them to grasp the great grace of God that is greater than all our sin. For when the Corinthians realized all the sin they had in their life, they had to look back and go, oh, how terrible. How depraved I really was. They, you know, They didn't know that at the time. They knew it was probably some things were not right. But uh, now it's starting to really convict them. And the more and more you're in Christ, the more you see how that sin is. And don't you respond to Christ even more so? 
You know, when you first become a Christian, you realize your life has changed and all of a sudden some of those sins are dropped right off, you know, and really the bag is, but your actions are, are still there somewhat. Paul is reacting to a very sinful, immoral church and he reacts in grace. He knew the grace of God. He knew what it took for him to be saved. And what does he do? He uses the same kind of action that God, Christ, took on him and he uses it on these people. And as we go through Corinth, you'll see those sins. And you say, Paul, how can you how can you be so patient here? Well you you heard last week what type of city it was and I'm sure you've heard about it. Um, Christ was there though. But there was a lot of things. A lot of things. And matter of fact when you get to first Corinthians eleven they were uh, breaking bread and and being drunk at the same time. And then not allowing other people to be a part of that. Uh, hard to imagine. What's the first thing that He brings to them? Grace. Now, how would I react if, if I had to address these problems? Well, I think I may know how I might react. I'd get pinned to paper real quick like if I were Paul. I'd say, dear Corinthians, are any of you saved at all? You're not even saved. <laughs> right? I mean, no grace, no uh, uh, to the church of God, which is a crent to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, right off the bat. Boom! Are you even Christians? You don't behave like Christians. But what does Paul say? He writes them in the first nine verses and he's basically saying, look, look who you are. You know what family you're from? Remember who you are. Look at what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, did your mom ever tell you that before you went out? Remember who you are. Remember what family you're from. Did you ever get that? Or heard people do that? Anyway, it's good to remember who we really are. We belong to Christ. And we're accountable to Him. But look at what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what He has given us. The wonderful riches of God. Then He moves on to exhort them, to encourage them, to rebuke them in the ways that they should be going. That is grace, isn't it? Good lesson. There are reasons for God's grace. I'll give you three of them. First one is always an automatic, and what do you guys think that is? To glorify God. God gave us grace. He saved us because He wanted to glorify Himself. It starts with that. Above all things, grace was given that they'd be able to do the most important thing in all the world, and that's to give God the glory. Um, and if you look in Ephesians 1 6, we'll see that that's what His plan is all about. It starts with that. And that is the most important. We'll see what Paul says in Ephesians 1 6 to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Chapter um, 1, verse 12, says the same thing, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Chapter 3, verse 21 of Ephesians, that you put off concerning your former conduct, verse, let's see 21, Uh, 
1, page 2-4. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations before it, ever and ever. Amen. After all of that, that's, that's the position, the first three chapters of Ephesians, position that you have in Christ. And He says, that's to all His glory. You can't help but saying that. Many other passages, uh, of course, you think of the Sermon on the Mount. He talks to us about us being uh, the salt and the, the light. Matthew 5.16, then he says the reason for, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good works and that they would be able to glorify God. Uh, So since we're talking about good works, there's another reason for God's grace. Not only for the glory of God, but then also for others. To produce good works. Grace is given so that the saints can do the good works to produce fruit. That's why He does that. God saved us to do good works, didn't He? Saved us to do that because they benefit mankind. They benefit men and women. God wants us to touch the world with His goodness, with His grace. And that can only be possible through the person of Christ. We know that we are created for His workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says. In Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us, as the Gospel, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people. Why? That they be zealous for good works. Good works. So, God's grace allows us to produce good works. And it brings blessings to believers also, doesn't it? He'll pour out His blessings on us forever. And so you get graced by other people. Did you know that? How would you like to be all alone? No Christians ever knew other Christians. They would never gather together, never be in contact with each other, and you're just out there on, as being a lone soldier. How would you like that? How, what if the church was designed to be that way and they never met, they never knew each other, never knew anybody really had anything in common? That would be really rough, wouldn't it? But it's good to know God's people come together. So, the next phrase that we find in Corinthians... Is not only that the grace of God just given to by Christ Jesus. Here's what happened: that you were enriched in everything by Him. Who's Him? Christ. Here's Christ again. He doesn't want them to forget Christ because that's how we have to live our lives. Don't forget that when you're battling through your everyday life, remember what Christ has done. Keep thinking on Christ. Too easy, too simple to say, but that's really what it's about. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. You were enriched in everything. You may not believe that, but it's God's truth. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. This is Peter writing. It sounds like Paul, doesn't it? As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We escaped that. It's all around us, but we're not dominated by that anymore. All things pertaining to life and godliness. You don't need anything else. You've been given everything you need. It's just like when a baby is born, a healthy baby, he has everything. He has arms, he has legs, he has mouth, nose, ears, name every part of your body. He has all of that. It's not that he gets born and then the rest of his arm grows out. And then maybe the second ear grows out. You know, they they grow bigger maybe, but everything that he needs is there as far as his physical body is concerned, right? It, It just needs to grow. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, you have been given. You have not been shorted. Uh, look in Colossians 2.10. You may think that sometimes. But God's Word says something different. For in Him, for in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means He's fully God, Christ is. And you are complete. Look at that. Did you see that? We are what? Say it together. We are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Everything is there. He has given to us. We are complete in Him, in Christ. In Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 3.21 Same book. Therefore, let no one boast in men for all things... Am I in 321? Oh, okay, that's it. All things are yours, of course. Okay. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's. You belong to Him. And Christ is God's. He belongs to Him. Is that good news? And we have a lot of good news here today. <laughs> should always have the good news. Well, he says that you are enriched in everything by Him. And he names some things here. In all utterances. In all speech. You had everything. All Christians have the ability to tell the gospel unless there is some kind of a voice problem or a tongue or mouth. But as a whole, people as Christians have mouths. They can talk. Now, we may not be eloquent in speech and we may not be glib with the tongue, but we can speak for this Jesus Christ. Can't we? We should not be ashamed of this Jesus Christ. We can speak for Him the way that He wants us to speak. Witnessing, and I want you to catch this, is not an option for us. We were never told, if you want to, it'd be a good thing if you'd like to, to go out and maybe tell people about Christ. No, we are commanded by God 
to tell people about Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore unto all nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things that I command. That is what we are told to do. We've been given everything by Him in all utterance. You say, I just don't know what to say. Where have you been? (laughs) Have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't know what to say. We have everything that we need to say. We have the truth. Matter of fact, if you don't know what to say, check out the Scripture. Check out what the Gospel is. Check out what He's saying there and, and then let His Spirit take His Word and use it at that time when it uh, is an opportune time. We need to do that as the early church did. What would have happened if the early church had dropped the ball and never said anything about Christ? Well, I can tell you it was not going to happen because that was God's sovereign will that it did happen. But the ones who don't use their mouth about Christ are missing out on the greatest blessing in all the world. There's nothing better than after you've worshipped God. That's the most important thing. But then to tell others about Christ, that they can be saved from their wretchedness, from their sinfulness, from their selves. Isn't it one of the greatest blessings that you've ever had in your life? When you've seen somebody or known somebody that's come to the Lord, uh, we, we get the opportunity to share Christ. And when we get that, we want to be ready. We need to be prepared. You get prepared by studying the Word and being in prayer. Being in prayer. That's so key. Because God has that person to come up uh, to you sometime. And He may not be saying, hey, I want to be saved. That usually doesn't happen. I'm not so sure if that's ever happened to me. <laughs> but in, in but it does. Acts 4.29 This is um, this is a prayer for boldness here. This is a prayer. Uh, verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to Your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word. With all boldness. Praying for that. It would be good to pray that, wouldn't it? Lord, help me be bold to speak Your Word. We're coming into a time now. You guys realize that uh, it's not like what it used to be. And it's not going to be like it used to be. It could be far worse. The Gospel, the good news, is needed as much now as it ever has been. You might get a lot of opportunities because what they're saying out there is absolutely opposite of what the Gospel is. Ephesians 6.19, Paul is, uh, this is a prison epistle, so he is uh, kind of tied up, if you know what I mean. And then he's, as he's saying the uh, armor of God to them, take on the whole armor of God, and then he says, and for me, that utterance, that I can have the speech, that it may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We need to pray for that because there are many times that we all have backed down. Times when we didn't want to offend somebody and 
that can there can be proper times of when to back out because it's not the right time. But there are other times when it is out of season, but it's still the time to give the gospel out. And I know that we all become a little shy sometimes, but we shouldn't be ashamed of the most powerful instrument in all of mankind. That's the gospel. First Peter three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with meekness and fear. We don't have to jam it down the throat, do we? With being, being humble, being meek. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 and 25. Oh, to be bold. What would happen if we all got bold and started going out to the lost? Do you think God would bless that and bring in some people that we couldn't be able to handle? (laughs) Maybe He's preparing us. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Did you catch that? There's a qualifier. You might give the truth. How they respond is going to be not up to you. Because you speak or don't speak, it doesn't mean they're going to go to hell or heaven. I'm glad that's up to God. But we're still held responsible for us bringing that truth out too. But he says here, be able. Everybody should be able to teach. Be, be patient. Have humility when you do it. And he says, maybe God will grant them, give them repentance. There's a there's a good phrase, uh, verse there for uh, repentance as a gift. Grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. So interesting. Right out of Second Timothy. So that's one thing that Paul mentions here in the first chapter as he is encouraging them on. He says. God has given you everything. Remember that? He is sufficient. We've been enriched in everything by Him. And He starts in all utterance, in all speech. You have everything you need. You have the Gospel. You know the Gospel. You're living it out. Praying. Reading the Word. When, that, when those people come, then put it out. Give, give the truth. That's what the early church did. And you saw it multiply. And it multiplied. There are a lot of people out there who are elect and they're not saved yet. That's how Paul looked at it. He went out there looking for the lost people and he threw the seed out, but some of them were actually elect who actually responded. And there were many of them. I believe today there are a lot of elect people around Jeff City. They're just not saved yet. They're not sitting in here with us. But I believe that they should be. That's what I'm looking at. I'm going I'm to make this really um, convincing to you so that you can say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. But I mean it. They're out there somewhere. God will put you in those places. Now, another one. You were enriched in everything by Him and all or speech and all knowledge. You were given all the knowledge you need. Now, there's more to get in the Scripture, but everything you need to know, 
is, is there. That's what they had. Knowledge was not left to the Greek civilization. You remember the philosophers in Athens, in Corinth? All the Greek philosophers, oh, they were famous for it. It belonged to the church. The church is who had the wisdom. In our political realm today, unless there are Christians in there, those people don't have the answers. Have you guys noticed any of that? I don't want to shock you. (laughs) But the truth is here. The truth is right here. If only they were to apply a lot of these truths, wouldn't that be incredible? Can you imagine the world would turn around? It'd It'd be going upside down, wouldn't it? The true philosophy was not borrowed from the world. It came from God. We have that philosophy. Nothing wrong with philosophy because it's wisdom. It's wisdom from God. And that ridiculous stuff they're spouting out now all over the world through television and through all the mediums. Uh, if, they're, if they're not Christ, you can tell right away, can't you? And you can say, that's not knowledge. That's foolishness. That's absolute poppycock. I mean, it, it, there's no, it's just hardly any kind of truth at all to anything. Common sense, where did it go? You're seeing a lot of politicians running now and they're, they're saying they're running on common sense. I think, I think I know what they're saying. But the true common sense is always here, isn't it? We have His Word. We have His Spirit. Do you need anything else? Well, you need to interpret it. But if, if you know the rules of interpretation... If you have some proper hermeneutics, then you'll know what that Scripture is saying. We can use the knowledge of God and be very effective in witnessing. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Let there be light. Did you know God just spoke that? Boom, it came out. Boom, light. And it didn't take millions of years to get here, did it? It was right here, just like that. That's how powerful my God is. He commanded to come out of darkness. Did you know that's the same way that happens in our hearts? We were totally dark. We liked the darkness. John 3 says that. Men love the darkness rather than the light. But as soon as He turns on that light, all of a sudden it came on. And the darkness is dispelled. You ever been in a real dark room where you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face? You ever seen that? No, you can't. (laughs) You can't see your hand. You can't see your hand. You can't, you, can't, you can't see anything. But somebody turns on the light switch. And all of a sudden, just like that, the darkness is dispelled. Somebody turned the switch on. Right? It happened from out there. Look in Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason, oh, for this reason, Paul was building up and edifying the Colossians here in his greeting. Then he says, for this reason, and this is a prayer here too, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, filled with the knowledge, that's our word right now, of His will, in all wisdom and Spiritual understanding. Why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord. 
fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. As you go and get His wisdom, and then you walk in it, then He gives you more wisdom. And then you walk in that, then He gives you more wisdom. Being obedient, He will give you more knowledge and wisdom. And Paul is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That he would know what God's will is. You want to know what it is? You just keep searching it out here in this truth. We are to be filled with the knowledge of His will. We must appropriate this knowledge that we have. We must appropriate it. We must put it into our lives. God has fully given everything we need to know. Okay, um, back to Corinthians that you were enriched in everything by Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Now, I'm putting that in, this, this verse 7, in with the verse 4 and 5. So that you come short in no gift. Did you know the Corinthian church had everything? They had all the gifts? This church didn't lack any gifts. People didn't, they didn't lack anything. They lacked maturity and they uh, lacked purity, didn't they? But they, they uh, certainly uh, didn't lack in the gifts. The problem was is they didn't use these provisions correctly as they were unfaithful in using these gifts and perverse in using the gifts. And if you look in chapter 14, you'll get a whole chapter correcting them on uh, what their understanding of gifts was about. We see that they sought gifts that they didn't have. Not everybody, not each individual is given every gift there is. And so some of them wanted the showy gifts, and so they were admiring them, and they wanted those too. They were coveting gifts. And they didn't have them, and so they faked them out anyway, or got jealous of others. You don't have to go around looking for gifts. Now, you may want to detect what they are. But you don't have to look for gifts and say, oh, I want that one right there and I want that one and that one. It's not going out shopping for gifts. You already have the gift. The gift was given to you as soon as you were born again. The trick is, is discovering it. And sometimes you may not even know how to really define what your gift is. So what? If you don't know how to title what that gift is, and a lot of them just kind of run together. And so what, what's that mean? Well, it means whatever you do, do it. Are you talented at this and uh, do you like doing it? Well, chances are that it might be something that's used as a spiritual gift. We'll do it. Don't go around studying, uh, you know, well, do I have this gift or not? Well, what have you been doing? You know, do you like to do that? Is that part of your uh, uh, thing that God has given you? Uh, His provisions are, are full. The word there for gifts is charismata, and that's the Greek word. And it, it means a, a chorus or grace. When you see the word grace, uh, you'll see that same kind of word. So gift and grace is the same thing. When you say the gift of grace, charismata chorus, maybe, these gifts are intended to edify other believers. That's what the gifts are given for. They're not given for you to boast in. They're not given to you so that you can enjoy it yourself. The, the gifts are given to edify others. And that's what Paul will point out uh, in that uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 section. The general blessings of speech and knowledge that he's already talked about, 
even though you use those with the church, where did those go? Out to the world. The utterance of being able to give the gospel and knowledge to those people. Now, you want to hang on to those too because you still want to be able to speak, but in the, in the church you have gifts that are for believers also. Spiritual gifts. And each have their own special blend of uniqueness. And I think MacArthur used to call it uh, spiritual snowflakes. That's what we are. Because every snowflake is different than the next snowflake. They look alike, but at the same time they're all different in the sense that they have a little bit different equipping that God made special. So I want to tell you something. You're special. Because God did it. I'm not just saying that out of some kind of a you know, love thing that I throw out there. I don't, I don't, I'm not flowery. I'm just saying you are. You're very unique. You're very special. And it's not by accident what God has done with you and is doing. So uh, you're here to bless the rest of the church. That's what you're here for. You bless the rest of the church. Sometimes it can take years to recognize what that special gift is and sometimes to develop those gifts. But we want to try to understand what, uh, what we have or what we do or whatever it is. Just do it. But we, we want to commit to the very divine resources. These are God's resources that He's given and we want to be able to use those. So, the Corinthian church had everything. Do you think Christ was sufficient? Do you think He is sufficient in everything? He'll supply all your needs, won't He? Now, that was point number one. And we're getting near the end of the message. Can you believe that? Number two talks about testimony. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, this is about Christ in us now and back then. They were first grace. We talk about that. They could use their blessings at the present time. We've kind of seen that. We receive God's grace when the testimony of Christ comes to us. And we're confirmed in that. We're settled in that. The testimony of Christ. The blessings and the riches. We're settled in that. God's grace extends all the way till your next sin. No. Till next year. God's grace extends till He comes back. God's grace extends throughout eternity. It's extending out. Always be there. His grace. That's what we live on. Christ's witness is settled in us when we trust in Him. Right? We're settled on that. These people were witnesses. You have a witness. What does a witness do? He tells what he saw, heard, felt. That's all he does. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? Give the testimony of Christ. He's given us eternal life. This eternal life is in His Son. The greatest testimony is the message of salvation. Here's what He did for me. Right? Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We're still taking it out there. Still going to the, uh, the end of the earth. It's, it's reaching it. It's getting there, isn't it? But it still needs to get there. By the way, it's a good thing to support, uh, support missionaries. Well, we've got an opportunity. I'll mention it uh, later to, um, 
get some materials out to somebody who's taking a, that. We've mentioned that before, but support to, supporting missionaries is a great thing to the end of the earth. That great gospel. Um, verse 7, so that you come short and no gift. While, while you're here now, you're using the gifts. And now he turns it to the future benefit of grace. We've seen past grace. We've seen present grace. And now we have a future grace. And what is that? Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you didn't know if he, that He was going to come back, it could almost be hopeless. Isn't that one of the instigators for us to live this life now? Knowing that He's coming back? If one that you loved left on a journey and all they said was, Bye. And they took off, and you're waiting a year, two years, three years, four years, ten years, and you're wondering if they'll ever come back. By that time, I'm sure people have said they're never coming back. But he left us the message that he is coming back. Paul wrote to Titus, and he said, This is the blessed hope. A hope that's confident and sure. We know. I mean, this is a hope. You know what you, you're going to be wanting to do tomorrow. I mean, you're hoping that you do that. Well, you pretty well know that's what you're going to be doing. If you're going on a vacation or whatever, you're looking forward to that. Or going on a trip or going to work and can't wait to get to work. Whatever. Um, hope. We're waiting eagerly. Wait with eager anticipation. We work now as we wait and watch and hope, for we have great hope. Christ's return. So Paul mentions this. He's shown the past, present, and future in just a, a few short sentences. Have you noticed this? Boom, boom, boom. I mean, he's getting uh, to it, isn't he, here? And he says, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation is peeling back, it is unveiling, it's uncovering. The unveiling of Himself will see Him as He is. Literal sense. It's a manifestation of His blazing glory when He comes back at His second coming. Does that excite you? Does that keep you going? And you know, people say today, He can come back now. And I don't think there's a Christian in here that would say, oh, well, wait a minute, i got some things i got to do. I think every one of us here would say, Bring it on. <laughs> Come on back now. I mean, isn't that great? I, I think that's biblical. I think John wrote that in Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. At the same time, we know that it may not happen in our lifetime. It may be not even a hundred years. It could be longer. We know we see a lot of things happening, though, and we say, it sure could happen. I mean, a lot of things are being set up. I don't want to read the newspaper and read you know, the Bible into that, but I know that it's closer now than it was ten years ago. And it's sure a lot closer than it was when Paul wrote this. That gets me excited. And, you know, the revelation of Christ means His exaltation. He will be exalted in a way that we have not been to exalt Him. He'll come in full glory and splendor. The first time He came, He was hidden, wasn't He? He was hidden in a body like ours. Next time, He'll be manifesting in all His great blazing splendor.
He was humiliated. He was despised. He was rejected. And when He comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we know that. And we know that if one is not a Christian and they don't want the good news, they will be judged. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, He will come to judge those who hate and reject Him. To believers, it's a blessed hope. But the bad taste in your mouth, you got honey, but you also have something bitter there, is that He will judge forever the ones who reject Him. The stakes are high for eternal punishment. All those who don't want the Gospel, it looms over the horizon. What a thing to gamble on. Those people renounce the testimony of the believers. Verse 8, Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Confirm you to the end. Why? That you may may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day that He comes back. Here we discover that the confirmation is not an act. It's not something that you do at church. A confirmation. This is the fact that we have been confirmed by Christ. It's an effect. It's not some kind of a ritual performed by men. But it's a result when proceeded that proceeds from our faith. We have been confirmed all the way to the end that we are safe in Jesus Christ because of that ongoing grace. To confirm means to make sure. He is the one who makes sure. It's established by grace. He confirms their security. He tells the Corinthians, who are as sinful as sinners out there in some things that they were doing, and he's saying, you're secure to the end. Wow, does that make you take an effect? You say, yeah, but they were sinning. Listen, they were made to be conformed to the image of Christ and God will not fail in that work of His. There will be no stains of sin after it's all said and done because they will be blameless when Christ comes back. Blameless, holy. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Here's the church. You may not look blameless right now, but look in verse 26. That He might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. All those blemishes, all those zits on us, they're going to be gone. Totally, perfectly white without stain. That's what Christ will do. The very image of Jesus Christ. We will be never to sin ever again. That battle that we have daily, it's gone. We'll stand there perfectly, holy, without sin. One more, and we'll be done. Verse 9. After saying all that, you say, well, you know what? I just don't know if I believe that. I just don't know. And verse 9 says, God is faithful. Isn't that great? After he said all these amazing, wonderful things, and he says, God's faithful. I'll tell you, he promised it. He said he's going to do it. He will do it. It will be done. If he's going to make you perfectly holy, 
He's going to do it. Is he doing it now? Yeah. Matter of fact, position-wise, you already are holy. You are a saint. That's what Paul's calling these people here. I think we can identify with this culture, can't we? Man is not faithful. We've been convinced of that many times, haven't we? But God is faithful. The Corinthians were full of corruption. You say, yeah, but look at all that sin they had. How can God be that way? God's not unfaithful. If He saved them, then He'll continue to save them. Here is our hope. Because our sins were paid for at the cross. And that was all determined before the foundation of the world. It was already mapped out. It was done by God. That doesn't give us license to sin because the rest of Corinthians is going to show us why we can't do that. May we not sin. But God is faithful to His sovereign will. He made you the way that He made you. What He says, He will do. He will do it. Look at this. God is faithful by whom you were called. You were called by Him. If you were called by somebody else, then you're not the called. If you're called by Him, called by His Word, and you responded, He's the one that drew you to Him when you were an enemy sinner against Him, when you hated Him. When God calls one to salvation, He is faithful to that call. That's how big God is. You can say, yeah, but what about all that sin? What about it? Grace is greater than sin, isn't it? Yeah, but this kind of sin that they did? Well, what have you done in your heart? This is called an effectual call. Has anybody ever heard of effectual calling? It means who God calls, they're His forever. Those whom He called, what does He do? He justifies. And if those people are justified, and they are, the called ones are justified, then they are what? Glorified. Present tense? Past tense. Future tense? They are, as far as God is concerned, it's already done. It's past tense. That's incredible. He's telling the Corinthians that they were called people. They were chosen people. The effectual call produces salvation. Romans 8, verse 30. Last verse we'll go to. I promise. This is a great one to end on. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. And the ones He called, these He also justified. You say, yeah, but they sinned really bad after that. But if they really are justified, what is the next one? And whom He justified, these He also glorified. So the glorified ones are the ones who were justified. The justified are the ones who were called. And before they were called, they were, what? Predestined. And before they were predestined, they were foreknown. God had a relationship with them before we ever were here. We're saved because God wanted us saved. And we stay saved because God does not change His mind because God is faithful and He is always faithful to His desires. We had no part in God's original desire to call us and we can do nothing to change it. Not giving us license to sin. 
Because if one really desires to sin, First John has an answer to that, and he says, if you don't confess your sins, you don't. If you don't confess Jesus as Lord, if you hate your brother, or if you you know continue to do these things that are sinful, then you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. What does that say? You never were saved. We can do nothing to change God's plan. He called when we were wretches. And He'll not stop being faithful to those He calls. And then the next word was fellowship. We've entered into a fellowship. And this is where we're going to slide right into our communion section here. Notice how this is going to work out here. We're secured to glory by being one with Christ as it says here in Corinthians. As He mentions fellowship. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are in His fellowship. We're part of that body. We're part of the temple. We're living stones. You can't take a stone out. Now you have a a house that is defective. God is working that out. We're kept by grace. We're united to Him through the person of Christ by the union of fellowship. This is called a partnership. It's a vital union of life that we have been brought into. It's a mystical union at the same time. But it's through this fellowship that we prove His faithfulness by interacting with each other. There is fellowship in the person of Christ. That's what we have in common. We might all do different things, have different backgrounds that we came from, different states, different cities that we came from, and it doesn't matter. Different countries, matter of fact. And you know what? That doesn't matter, does it? Because we're being put into one. And you know Christ is at the center of all of this. This magnificent project that He's doing. He is what the church is all about. He revolves. I mean, the church revolves around Him, doesn't it? Without His grace, the speech, the knowledge, the gifts, all the blessings that we have would be nothing. The supremacy of Christ was put on full display in this section that we looked at this morning. Did you see the supremacy of Christ? Can we proclaim that supremacy? His supremacy should always be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. And we pray, Lord, that we can be the saints that You have called us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen.